fabulous song. Thank you, Jeremy. So the last time that I preached both services here, after the sermon was over and I was heading my car, a text popped up on my phone. It was from a member of our church, and this man, we'll call him Scott, because that's his real name. (laughs) And the text said this. It said, TJ, I just had to tell you that your sermon this morning was spit on. I thought, wow, that's kind of harsh and pretty graphic, too. And I realized that even though I got a good bit of positive feedback uh, from other folks, I realized that not everybody might have received my sermon so well. And so as I got to my car and I was considering how am I going to respond to Scott, another text popped up. It was also from Scott. And it said this, TJ, my wife looked at my phone and just shook her head and said, your fingers are way too fat for texting. What I meant to say was your sermon this morning was spot on. So, as you can imagine, I appreciated the clarification. Today's message is on community, biblical community, gospel community, which is found at the intersection of truth and grace. Now, many of you may know that my primary role here as a pastor is giving leadership to our small group ministry. And although small groups can be a great environment for gospel community, this message is about a much bigger picture. So let me tell you where we're going to go with this. In a few minutes, we're going to look in Acts chapter 2. We're going to unpack what we mean by community, specifically gospel community. We're going to talk about what is this intersection of truth and grace? What does it look like? How do we know when we're there? And how do we get there? So that's where we're going. Community. What does this mean? I mean, we live in this paradoxical society and culture that is extremely connected digitally, right? You can send a text to hundreds of people. You could be in an online community, be in video chats. You could have and communicate your thoughts and what you're doing in photos through Instagram and through Facebook. And in a few moments, you can be connected with more than a thousand people. And yet, so many people today would say that real-life relationships, true connection, and true community all but elude them, maybe even within the church, maybe especially in the church. But this isn't what God ever had in mind for his people. We'll back to that in a second, but... We need to realize that, of course, community as a concept is not exclusive to the church. In its generic sense, community simply means any group of people that have shared values or shared behaviors or shared characteristics. It could be anything. I'm on an Alta tennis team. Actually, Jeremy, who just sang that song, he's on our team as well. And we, our team shares community around tennis. We happened also win the division championship yesterday. You probably already read about that. But what we're going to be talking about this morning is gospel community, which is so much more than what we commonly refer to as fellowship. 
which sometimes feels like simply having good relationships with other Christians that believe what we believe and meet our social needs in more sanctified ways. But gospel community is all about God working in his people, through his people, to bring about the transforming work he wants to do in our lives to make us more Christ-like. It's what God has always had in mind for his people. The story of God and his people has always been a story of true community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been together. The concept of the Trinity didn't just come upon the scene when the pages of your Bible turned to the New Testament. At the very beginning, Genesis 1, God does not say, I'm going to make man in my image, in my likeness. He doesn't say that. Instead, in Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, there is a whole lot to that statement. But we know that at least part of this shows that God has always existed and related in perfect community with the Trinity in a way that reflects who he is. And so he has always intended for us to relate in true community in a way that reflects who he is, his very character. So God made Adam on day six. The first five days, he made the light, the water, the sky, the stars, the animals. And every day ended with a statement, and God saw that it was good. Exactly. Except for day six, when God created Adam. For the first time in creation, something wasn't good. It wasn't that Adam wasn't good. It was that Adam was alone. So you know how God made that good? You know what really good thing God created for Adam? For Adam, God created ESPN. That's right. And it was really good for man. No, 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 sorry. God created Eve. And the first thing that wasn't good wasn't that Adam was alone or lonely, I should say. It wasn't good because mankind was created to relate to one another and to God in perfect community, in right relationship. That was God's intent from the literal beginning. So how have we done with that since then? Well, that's another story because it wasn't long before we saw all the drama that took place in the garden. And sin entered the picture with all of the shame and the blaming going on. And true community has been a challenge to experience ever since. And we still deal with these repercussions today. But fast forward. Enter our hero. Enter the second Adam. Enter Christ. So Jesus came to earth to redeem that which was lost in the garden. To bring his gospel of truth and grace and forgiveness and redemption and restoration. And offering us the possibility of restored community. And that's part of why he established his church. Part of why he established his church was to reflect him, to reflect his gospel to the world. And right away we saw the power of that. We're going to look here in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, at the end of the chapter, starting with verse 42, where we see the launch 
of this brand new community of new believers. And this is what it says, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the, these new believers, this, this, this new community of believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right away, we see this initial picture of this, this first community of new believers, and we see what they were doing as they experienced their new life together. They were focusing on God's truth together. They hung out together. They had meals together. They cared for one another. They ate together. They met needs to one another. They prayed together, and they ate together. You might have noticed that I like that one. <laughs> Worth repeating. And they were worshiping together all these things that we're still called to do together today. And they did these in, the, in, in large groups and in small groups, in the temple courts and in their homes. And the impact was great because people who were on the outside looking in, they said, I want what they're having. Because they saw the way that these new believers, this new community reflected Christ through how they related to one another and how they talked about Jesus. And people heard about Christ through them. And people who were far from God became believers and joined this growing gospel community. For the sake of this message, I want to tell you what I mean by gospel community. This is more of a description than definition, but here goes. Gospel community is God's people changed by the gospel, reflecting the gospel because of the gospel together. Gospel community is simply God's people, people who have been changed by his gospel, people who are reflecting his gospel, and they're doing it because of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, and they do it together. Do you see how all of those played themselves out in that Acts chapter 2 passage? They were changed by the gospel. It's what they had in common. They may have been from different backgrounds and different cultures, but they shared this new life in Christ. They shared the bond of God's spirit. And they and we share a common calling, a calling because of the gospel. And we live this out by reflecting his gospel to the world, but also to one another. Jesus, he knew ahead of time that their love and their unity was going to be absolutely critical to the mission of his church, to the mission of his gospel. When Jesus prayed the night before his arrest, he gathered his disciples with him, and he actually prayed that these men, his followers, would reflect his gospel through their unity and through their love for one another. In that night, in the upper room, John records Jesus telling his disciples this. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus told them that's how they're going to know. And when Jesus prayed, he said, Father, I pray that they would be one, 
that they would be brought into complete unity so that, now catch this, so that the world will know that you have sent me. So that the world will know that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior. That's what Jesus prayed for. And what he prayed for, it began happening. And this, this, this gospel community, people who were changed by the gospel, who were reflecting the gospel, who were doing it because of the gospel, this community grew, and the church has been expanding ever since. Back then, and just as importantly now, this gospel community is found at the intersection of truth and grace. We hear a lot about this, this package deal of truth and grace. The gospel is the message of truth and grace. In fact, it's, it's how Jesus was introduced to the world when, when, when John wrote his gospel in his very first chapter when he's considering, how am I going to communicate? Lord, what should I say about Jesus? This is what he says in John chapter 1. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. A few verses later, John underscores this by saying, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. It's who Jesus is, grace and truth, truth and grace. It's not either or. The gospel is both and Truth and these are not also just theological concepts, people. Truth and grace are how Jesus relates with people. It's how Jesus related with everyone then and still does today. With the woman who is caught in adultery, who is thrown out in the streets, about to be killed, Jesus came and with truth and grace did not condemn her, but restored her with loving dignity and told her, go and sin no more. With Matthew, the tax collector, it was Jesus' truth and grace in his life that forever changed the course and direction of his life. With the Samaritan woman at the well, with Peter, over and over and over, with Saul on the Damascus road, all of their lives were changed by his truth and grace. That's how he always related with people then, and that's how he relates with us today. And it's what changed our life At our conversion, sure. But also, it's how God still works to transform our life every day. Truth. All of God's word is truth. All of God's ways are truth. The truth about who he is. The truth about who we are. And the truth about who we aren't. There's truth about our brokenness. And the truth about God's redemptive sufficiency. And grace. Grace doesn't mean a free pass or that our, our, our sin doesn't matter. Not at all. But in God's grace, our failures, our failures, they don't push us out of relationship with God. But rather, grace lovingly calls us back into fellowship with God, restoring us, encouraging us, and empowering us. And just like the father with his prodigal son on that road, Grace embraces us. And so if Jesus relates with us with truth and grace, and it changes us, then what would happen? What would happen if we, his people, related with one another with truth and with grace? I think we'd all experience transformational gospel community. 
But I've noticed a problem. I've noticed a problem for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure. Most Christians don't seem to live out of the healthy biblical balance of truth and grace, especially with one another. Have you ever noticed this? I noticed this, and I was teaching a class some time ago. It was, a, it was upstairs here, a 9 a.m. adult class, and we were talking about this concept of community. And I asked them this question. There are about 40 people in this class, and I said, I want you to think about someone in, that you know, someone in your life that is a great source of truth for you. They will, tell, they will speak truth into your life. And I paused for a moment until everybody had someone they thought of. And then I said, okay, now I want you to ask you is to consider who is someone in your life that is a great source of grace to you. You know that when you need grace, they're going to give it to you. And I paused till everybody said they had someone in mind. Then I asked them this. I said, for how many of you, 40 people in the room, how many of you, when you thought about a truth teller and a grace giver, how many of you, it was the same person out of 40 people? Only one person thought of the same person. For whatever reason, the body of Christ seems to be sadly lacking people who live out both well. Many people express truth, but they might be lacking grace. There may be other people who are big on grace, but not so big on truth. This ought not to be. For gospel community to thrive, we need to be people of Jesus-like truth and Jesus-like grace for one another. For me, having gospel community means having a group of people in my life that bring both truth and grace to me. It means having people in my life that love me and accept me right where I'm at, but they love me too much to let me stay there. Gospel community means having people who have built a relational bridge with me, a bridge that is strong enough to bear the weight of truth. They also have the invitation to speak truth to me, and I need truth. Truth that doesn't deny that there's still work for God to do in my life. But I also need grace. Grace that doesn't reject me. Grace that hangs in there with me. Grace that reminds me when I need it that I'm forgiven, and that God's still working in my life even when I fail. And grace that expresses to me the hope that God's Spirit is still at work and empowering me for change. That's who we are called to be for one another. Let me ask you, do you have people like this in your life? Do you have people in your life that love you and accept you right where you're at, but they love you too much to let you stay there? Do you have people in your life more than just family members or a friend or two, but maybe a group of people that know the real you, the good, the bad, and the quirky I didn't say ugly because we don't have any ugly people here at Apostles. But a lot of us do fall into that quirky category. Do we have people in our life that care enough about you that they're going to be instruments of truth and grace to you? These kinds of relationships have been some of the greatest and most important gifts in my life. Many of them have been in people I've been with people that I've been in a small group with, but they don't start out this way. It takes time. It takes relational investment. But God used them, and they developed into what we're talking about here. But all too often, we settle for less, don't we? We settle for less than gospel community. We settle for just plain, safe fellowship, and we call it good. We are far too content. 
Now, please don't miss what I'm saying about the term fellowship. But there's a big difference between the common way that we refer to as fellowship and what the Bible refers to. What is the biblical concept of fellowship? In the scriptures, what the Bible calls fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia is a beautiful word. And by the way, the first time it's ever used in the Bible is in that Acts 2 passage, those verses that we just looked at. What koinonia means is what we're describing as gospel community. Because koinonia means the sharing of life together. The sharing of our new life in Christ. And it also means partnership in the gospel. Koinonia means gospel community. But in practice today, in common church vernacular, what we usually refer to as fellowship often means just Christians socializing with other Christians doing Christian things. So how do we know if we're moving past that and moving toward the direction of gospel community? I want to offer three ideas, three things to look for, three components of genuine gospel community. And the first is this. In gospel community, life change becomes contagious. In gospel community, life change, it becomes contagious. Life change. For, for some people, that may just sound like another Christian buzzword. That is until it's what you're experiencing. Because life change is what God is always up to in our life. To change us. To mold us. To grow us. And sanctify us and disciple us. To make us more like his son. And in gospel community, this transformation becomes contagious. When you think of the word contagious, you probably picture someone who's got some kind of sickness or something going on, and you're close to them, you're around them, and because they were contagious, now you've got it. In gospel community, life change becomes contagious. That's what happened back in Acts 2, and that's what still happens today, if we let it. One night, in a small group that my wife Sharon and I were in, uh, we were were looking through um, and studying the biblical concept of stewardship. And that night we were in Malachi and we were, we were talking about uh, stewardship of, of our finances and giving back to God. Now in our group, there was quite a bit of diversity in terms of where people were coming from in their spiritual growth. And one man there named Brad said this. He said, you know, guys, I just don't think I'm there yet. I don't know that I'm really there ready to let God have this area of my life. Finances are still my domain. And I'm just not sure what he'd do with it. We appreciated Brad's honesty. And we continued in the the discussion. And and later, another couple, they started talking about stewardship of another area of their life. They started talking about stewardship of our families, specifically and particularly our kids. And they said this. They talked about the fact that the turning point of their life was when they realized that God was trustworthy enough for them to entrust their kids' lives, their kids' futures to him. It was a really cool moment when they said, God, we came to the point of saying, God, they're yours, they're not ours, and we entrust your will for their life no matter whether we see it or not. Again, a cool moment. And then Brad spoke up, and Brad said this. He said, you know, guys, I'm listening to you talk about how God is so trustworthy that you can even entrust your very kids' lives to him. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking that if God is trustworthy enough that you could trust something as important 
as your kids' lives to him, then maybe I can trust him with something as material as my finances. Another cool moment. A little bit later, we prayed together, the group went their different ways. And when we came back together the next week, Brad wasn't there. He was, he was traveling, but his wife was there. And she came in and said, you guys won't believe this. We had barely pulled away in our car from small group last week when Brad looked at me and said, you know, honey, <clears throat> maybe we need to trust God a little bit more, open up our wallet in terms of our giving to God. And she said, I couldn't believe it. It was another very cool moment for our group. But that night, that night, it could have actually been any area of Brad's life. But in his heart that night, it was finances. But let me tell you why this thing becomes contagious. It doesn't just happen. It's not like through osmosis. But, but spiritual growth and life change becomes contagious this way. You see, spiritual growth often looks like this. As we get to know God better and we get to know his character, who he is, we see that he's trustworthy, so we're more likely to trust him more, right? And if we're more likely to trust him more, we're more likely to follow him more closely and obey him. And as we do, as we get to know him and trust him and follow him, we're just going to fall in love with him more. And when we're around other people that are knowing him better and following him and loving him more, we're going to want what they're having. We're going to see how God is blessing them, and it's going to become contagious. Now, If you've sensed that maybe you're in a season of life right now where that spiritual vibrancy for you just isn't there, you might feel a little spiritually dry. You might feel a little stuck, maybe just going through the motions, maybe just coasting. Could it be that part of this is because we're not being in close enough community with others who are contagious with their own spiritual vibrancy? Could that be part of it? Because when we're in gospel community, life change becomes contagious. And there's something else that happens in gospel community, something else that happens at this intersection of truth and grace. In gospel community, we live authentically. We live authentically in gospel community. Let's talk about this. Authenticity, genuineness, the freedom to be real without fear of judgment or rejection. Wouldn't that be great to live that way? Some of us can only imagine what that might be like. Because sadly, in church culture today, too many of us instead have become experts at what I call image management. Image management is the energy that that, that we use and the effort that we make in order to present to other people a picture that we want them to have of us, what we want them to think of us, how we want them to see see us. And yet often this picture isn't quite who we really are. Now, this isn't really a humorous topic, but I, I thought this was kind of funny. When I saw someone post on Twitter, they said, why can't people just accept me for who I pretend to be? If we're honest, many of us might say that we're quite adept at the art of image management, while at the same time, we deeply long to be known and understood and accepted and loved just as we are. But we don't dare risk being transparent. We don't dare risk being found out or being exposed as maybe less than or not enough So we remain protective 
hidden, presentable, but not really known. I heard someone say that living authentically means we invite people into our backyards. You see, what we normally show other people is the front yard of our life, right? The front yard is what we keep up. The front yard is what people see. The lawn is manicured. The weeds are all pulled and the the pine straw is perfectly in place. There's nothing junky left out, nothing that the HOA can fine us for. That's the front yard. That's what we let people see. But what about our backyard? A lot of us, we put fences around our backyard, don't we? And we invite just a few select people into that backyard because maybe things aren't all put away. Things might be broken or messy back there. And there are weeds and things that we just haven't gotten to yet. It's where life is real, right? Living authentically means that we will invite more people into our, that backyard where we're not afraid to show other people that we've got some messes because so do they. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. A lack of authenticity isn't just an inhibitor to true community, but a lack of authenticity actually contradicts the very gospel that we say that we believe because when we embrace the gospel, we cry out, I'm broken. I don't have it all together. I've got messes. I've got sins. I've got struggles. I've got failures. And by pretending that we don't or presenting that we don't, we actually betray the message that we say we believe of his truth and grace. Do you see that? See, in gospel community, we don't settle for anemic fellowship marked by image management and surface conversation. Rather, in gospel community, we dial up authenticity, undergirded by the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. When we're in gospel community, life change becomes authentic. We live authentically. And thirdly, in gospel community, we one another one another. We one another one another. What does that mean? Throughout the New Testament, over and over, believers are challenged and instructed how we're supposed to relate with others. The scripture calls these, these little admonitions that go throughout the New Testament. They call them, or we, we call them commonly, the one another's. There are several dozen of them. Too many to take the time to read right now. But I want to highlight just some. And as I read these, I want you to remember that these aren't just biblical commands, even though they are. They're also expressions of gospel community that powerfully express and extend truth and grace to one another. See what I mean here. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Accept one another. Speak the truth in love to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Be kind and compassionate toward one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Submit and forgive one another. Live in harmony with one another. Weep with one another and rejoice with one another. Bear or forbear with one another. And love one another deeply from the heart. These are just about half of them. They're sprinkled throughout virtually every New Testament epistle. Now, 
I became a Christian when I was about 18 years old. I was just starting college. And I can remember the first time that I, I read these or I heard about these one another's. And I remember thinking, those are just sweet sentiments about what it means to be a nice Christian. You know, I'd go into the, into the dorm rooms of Christian girls and see these things on posters in their walls. But that was when I was in college. That was, wow, at least 20 years ago. That was a long time ago, and now I've come to realize that these aren't just ways to be nice. These are hard. Some of them are really hard to do. Try rejoicing with someone over their success when you're jealous of them, when you want what they've achieved. Try forgiving someone. Try forgiving someone who has hurt you deeply or wounded you. Someone who doesn't even know that they did it or don't care. That's hard to do. Try bearing someone's burdens or serving them when it's going to cost you something. Try loving somebody from your heart when you don't even really like them. These are hard to do. But can you see how most all of these are expressions of both truth and grace? In short, these one another's are ways to love other people the way that Jesus loves. That's what we do in gospel community. I visit a lot of our small groups. And when I do, I get the chance often to see right up close these beautiful portraits of the one anothering that goes on within our body. I've sat in with groups where people prayed for one couple and praying for their prodigal teenager. And this group wept with them. I've witnessed groups rejoicing over someone who finally got a job after months of unemployment. And that same group had been bearing their burdens and providing things like meals and other things through that long season without income. I've seen groups spur one another on to doing something really cool like going downtown in the inner city of Atlanta and feeding the homeless on a Thursday night. I've watched groups weeping for one of their couples through their long journey of infertility. And I've been in a group where one of the people shared that even though she knows the truth of her forgiveness and she knows that she's in right relationship with God, she still wrestles with feelings of shame because of her past and wrestles with really grasping God's unconditional love for her. And I've watched as that group just listened to her and they encouraged her. She knew the truth, so they didn't throw answer bombs back at her. But they prayed for her and blessed her. And I saw God show up in her life in a really cool way. All of these are expressions of the truth and grace of Christ. This is gospel community. Let's not settle for less. But it's going to take an investment. Like any good investment, the costs and the risks of pursuing gospel community are so worth it. Now, this sermon is not meant to be a commercial for small groups. But for many of you, a small group might be a good next step. By no means are small groups our only expression of gospel community in our church, but they may be a great place to start. See, in a couple weeks from now, most of our groups are going to be taking the summer off. They go on summer hiatus. But before long, it's going to be August and groups will be starting up again. So I wanted to mention something to you, that if you would like this August, you think like, I might want to check out what these small groups are like. I want to take a first step towards pursuing gospel community in my life. 
We're going to have an event called Group Connect. And the reason I mention is this, is if you would like us to send you a reminder in August when we're going to be having this, we'd be glad to. So here's what I want you to do. If you want to do that, the card that's in front of you, just circle the word small group on our little guest card, our belonging card. Just circle the word small group. Put your name and email address on there. And I know we've already passed the offering. So just leave that card on your seat when you leave. We've got someone to pick those up. You're not signing up for a small group by doing that. But we'll just be sending you a, a, a reminder when Group Connect is coming up. So again, commercial over. As we close, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to invest in gospel community. And I want to challenge you to pursue becoming a person of truth and grace. Be a person of truth and grace for others, with others, and let other people have that role in your own life. At the end of your life, will you look back and look back and say, God did so much incredible transformational work through this group of people, this group of people that Jesus used to work in my life. And you may look back and think of people like Ken and Amy and Mike and Paul and Sarah and so-and-so and so-and-so, people that God used, people that spoke truth to you, people that gave you grace, people that taught you and loved you. And God changed your life because of them. Let's not settle for less. Heavenly Father, may our church become an even greater expression of your gospel. And may we as individuals be part of this, that we'd powerfully experience your truth and we powerfully experience your grace in our hearts so that we can intentionally express and extend these to others. May we be the people that you use to make this church, this reflection of yourself, truly a place of gospel community. And it's for your sake and in your name that we pray. Amen.